This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. To learn more about our leadership development and team building, visit iFlyVirginiaBeach.com. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pazzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Elevate Your Leadership with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. I love doing this podcast. I've been doing it since last January, January of 2020. Today is episode 17, if I recall correctly. And the reason I started the podcast is because when I encounter people who bring great value to me, I just feel the need to share the value of that person with you, the listeners. So people who bring great value to me, I'm certain are going to bring great value to you. And my guest today has done just that over the past three years. My guest today is Steve Lashansky. I've known Steve for roughly three years. He's written a few books. I've read his books. And we participated in leadership events together, and we both belong to a network called the C-Suite Network, where a group of like-minded professionals are there to help each other become better. And Steve, in many ways, has helped me become much better uh, in all aspects of my life. Steve Lashansky is a sought-after speaker, Hall of Fame executive coach, executive facilitator for accelerating values-based leadership results and values-based is something that Steve and I talk a lot about, and we really have that in common. Values-based decision-making, strategic alignment of leadership teams, and outstanding client relationships. He is an internationally recognized leader in executive coaching, accelerating values-based decision-making effectiveness, facilitating strategic alignment and performance improvement for leadership teams, and creating high-value, indispensable partner relationship results with clients. Steve is a trusted advisor, coach, and speaker to senior leaders and high potential executives for more than 24 years. Steve brings a unique professional focus on optimizing leaders' executive teams and top professional service providers' effectiveness, performance, and results. There's more. I'll stop there. Steve, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Bob, it's always a pleasure to be with you. It's always uplifting and inspiring. We've had so many wonderful discussions, and I'm glad that we're doing the podcast and we're going to be able to share this discussion with our listeners. As I said, you've just brought great value to me over the years. I've read two of your books. You know, you are somebody who's genuine. You're experienced in the corporate world. 
you've taken that experience and the drive that you have and converted it into this incredible executive coaching career, author, et cetera. Let's just start with your corporate experience. Tell us a little bit about what you did in the corporate world and how you transitioned from there to your coaching and consulting career. The corporate world is really very entrepreneurial in my life because I only worked and created companies from the time I was young as a teenager started creating companies, small companies. And uh, my last company that I actually created before this consulting, coaching, and speaking company was uh, in the toy industry. And we built a company from zero to $10 million in seven years, selling to everybody from Walmart down to your corner retail store, 10,000 retail clients. It was quite funny because when we tried to get financing, people looked at our products, the colloquially called tchotchkes, impulse products. You know, average wholesale was uh, 90 cents. So our biggest year, we sold 12 million units. Wow. Wow. So was a place like the dollar store, one of your customers? Well, actually, Walmart and Target were our biggest customers because we learned how to merchandise to take care of the clients. So while we're selling 90 cent product, we're selling average units of about $300. Because if you want to do them one at a time, it's really a painful process of 90 cents. Sure. What we learned to do is to market, to create what the clients needed and wanted, which was turnover. How many dollars per square foot could we generate? And what that really taught us was, are we paying attention to what the client's primary objectives are? Are we trying to do what we think should be done? And whether you're on this side as a wholesaler selling to retailers, or you're a leader trying to induce and inspire your clients, and I'm talking clients, external clients, as well as your internal clients. To me, a client is anybody who affects the outcome of your business. Colleagues, that's, that's everybody. So are we paying attention to what's most important to them? That was a great lesson for me. And so my real transition was going into corporate as a consultant and coach, which was shocking at first, but uh, turned into be quite a lifestyle. So how many people in the, in the toy industry fell under your charge? My biggest company was 50 people. Okay. So, and I owned and ran. Okay. Okay, good. And in my current uh, company that I own and operate, I have 35 employees, 35 teammates, So leadership is uh, ever-present, right? It's omnipresent. It's something we have to think about all the time. So you transitioned your corporate skills, particularly at the leadership level, into the consulting business. How long ago did you do that? 29 years now. 29 years. Holy cow. 29 years. And Bob, you know, one of the key pieces for me, I mean, the part that really made the difference is my business partner mentor for three years was a guy who built from scratch a $1.6 billion business as the CEO. And when he retired, he took on a lot of entrepreneurs to coach. And that was my MBA and PhD and what he taught me about what it really takes to build and grow a business. So while my biggest company was $10 million that I ran, I was being mentored by a guy who built from nothing to $1.6 billion, a leading industry company. That's incredible. So a lot of value. You, that person brought a lot of value to your life, I take it, to your professional life. Well, as we both talk about all the time, leaders are learners. And that was one of the greatest educations I ever got in business. Yeah, that's incredible. Same thing with me. And, you know, and I'm still experiencing that through this podcast, for example, and through interactions uh, with others like yourself. In the business of consulting, you know, thinking about some of your corporate clients and leadership, what are some of the things that you see? What, well, where I'm going with this is what compelled you to write your last book, Leadership Starts Here, which I've read and I think is a great read. Do you see trends? with your clients, things that need improvement? Do you see trends there? And did that help you kind of write your book? It certainly did. I mean, the first thing that I see, Bob, and I'm really an empiricist, 
an ontologist, whatever you want to call it, a phenomenologist. I want to see what's universal. I've run leadership programs all over the world, in Asia, Europe, and the Americas. And these are the same programs, whether I'm in Beijing, Barcelona, or Boston, because we're talking about what human beings do. So that's always my search. What is it that's common among all humans? And the single biggest thing that I see, Bob, is that so many people are so busy with so many things that don't matter that they forget what's most important. And my first question to everybody is, what is most important for you today? What's most important for your company today? What's most important for your, your leadership team today? And if you don't have a ready answer with your top three, we got a problem. And that's the single biggest thing. People don't understand where leadership starts. And for me, leadership starts with the decisions you make and the decisions you make start with the decision-making process you have. Many leaders have an internal decision-making process, but they fail to be able to communicate it, structure it, share it, inspire their people with it. So everything falls back to them and it becomes very busy, very fast. And that's not necessarily the best way to work. So in your book, uh, you do talk a lot about the decision-making process and you do lay out the three questions and it's been probably a month or a month and a half since I read your book. So are those, I know you talk about the three questions towards the front of the book. Are those the three questions that you just mentioned? Well, those are the three key pieces of information. The first order of business is always what is most important? And when you're a leader, you better be clear about what's most important because your people are following everything you do. It's like a For tongue sure. line. Yeah. If you're not clear, they're just wandering around after you. But the second question is actually even more important than the first. And that second question is, why is that choice of what's most important the best choice? If you can validate why that's the best choice, you've got people engaged. And if you can understand what's most important and why that's the best choice, how to get it done is the third question, which usually is fairly simple if people are clear about the high value outcome and clear about the reason behind it. That's uh, a very interesting way to approach it. What's most important? Ideally, do you think that leaders, if they've identified what's most important, that's where most of their time is spent? Well, that's the problem. You know, I have this analogy that I've been using with every leader I talk to. They call it the 50 choices dilemma goes like this. you got 50 things to do in a day. And I laugh because many people would think that's a good day for them. That's right. And I said, you've got two choices here. You can do priorities number one, two, and three. You never touch the other 47, or you do priorities four to 50. You never touch one, two, and three. What's your choice? For me, it's may, one, two, and three. It's the obvious common sense answer, Bob. Everybody knows that. That's common sense. However, it is not common practice. And that's where <laughs> failure happens. And it's not common practice for one of three reasons. Number one, they really don't know what priority one, two, and three are. Reason number two, they've never communicated priority number one, two, and three. And issue number three is even if they know what one, two, and three are and they've communicated it, they're getting tied up with issues four to 50. And they forgot about putting their attention on one, two, and three, even yeah. though they know it and they communicate about it. Yeah. It's one of the greatest issues that I see every place I go. That makes me want to hang a note on my door or put a thing on my desk that says, focus on one, two, and three, or something to keep me on one, two, and three, and not let, not be distracted by the squirrels and the shiny objects. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was super cool. You said it doesn't matter if you're in Beijing, Barcelona, or Boston. Was that off the cuff or is that part of your speaking? No, I've actually done the same leadership program in Beijing. I was doing a train the trainer for one of the global pharmaceutical companies, 26 companies represented, 26 countries. And they were just absolutely amazed that all of them really resonated with the material. And then I was in Beijing doing a program for leaders from the developing countries. We had Russians, Indians, Chinese, 
somehow a New Zealander and a Turk got in there too. <laughs> but, but all of them were resonating with the material. Obviously, I've been all over the United States doing this. Yeah, so for again, sure. And the question for me is, what's the universals that drive the best results? Exactly. And that's where I was going with that is Beijing, Barcelona, and Boston. What led you to say that is I asked if you're seeing trends and you're seeing these trends in all the organizations. And we just talked about the first one, which is staying focused on what's important. So when we identify what's important within the decision-making process, I know in the military, we have something called MDMP, the military decision-making process. And it's this very matrixed way to arrive at a decision. So, you know, first of all, there's the commander's intent. What is it that the commander wants accomplished? And then we look at, there's kind of the business world calls it a SWOT analysis, right? right. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. We look at what are our requests for intelligence? What are the threats? What are the assumptions? What things do we know to be fact? What things do we think to be true, but we're not sure? All that kind of gets processed, if you will, and it results in the leadership team recommending the best decision possible for the commander to make. Often that results in what we call COAs, courses of action. So here are three alternative courses of action if you decide to move out on this. What, how, how do you kind of, what's your matrix for the decision process, if you will? Well, the matrix is very, very clear. There's eight key issues that need to be really decided. And of those, there's ones that affect what's most important. There are ones that affect why it's most important. And the most critical thing, Bob, is to understand why it's most important. The one thing I'm gonna say here that's really different in this day and age is getting a team on the same page is not a hierarchical situation. But if you don't get a collaborative consensus going, and I don't mean lowest common denominator, I mean highest common denominator. And where that comes from is clarity about who we are. What's our identity? Who are we as a company? Who are we as a team? What, are our, what do we value? What do we value that's gonna elevate us? That's gonna have us focus on our values in a way that they're gonna raise our capability to energize, engage, and really pull back the curtains on the best possible way that we could work together. Those are actually the foundations underneath what I call purpose and mission. So your purpose actually comes from a combination of who you are and what's most important. People are always searching for purpose. No, you define your purpose, but what you need is a foundation. The purpose is going to be real and resonant. It needs to be built on a foundation of who we are and what we value. You know, Steve, for me, that is so easy to understand because, again, I'm living it. I own a business with 35 teammates. They look for that in me. They look for that purpose. They look for that foundation. And if it's not crystal clear, they will wander, if you will. I've, I've seen it. I've, I've, I've been on all sides of it. And what you just said, it, you know, that just resonates with me as a business owner. And I'm sure it will with everybody who's listening. Please continue. Well, no, Bob, you're right on track here because that's whether you're a small business or a giant global enterprise, those are the things that bring people together. Those are the things that give people purpose. I mean, I'll never forget this conversation. I was doing leadership development for a very fast growing technology company, had a chance to sit down with the CEO and I asked him, what's your vision for the company? And he said, we're going to be a $3 billion company in three years. And I looked at him and said something nothing, nobody had ever said to him before. I said, and I bet your people are really excited about coming to work. <laughs> and he looked at me and go, what do you mean? I said, first of all, if that was a vision, if that was a real purpose, people would be excited about helping you grow this company. What you're telling them is this is their goal. It may just be your strategy and they're going to have to work hard for your glory. 
So I agree that that might be a meaningful goal, but what's the vision and purpose behind it? So what's the purpose behind it? That's a great question. What kind of answers do you get? Well, that's where people start to work. You know, for me, my purpose professionally is connecting leaders to their greatest talents, capabilities, and resources so they can create conscious cultures of fulfillment and contribution. And that comes from my thinking about what's a great life. And, you know, it's been years of simplifying it because the simpler, the better, the more digestible, the clearer it can be. I go by Leonardo da Vinci, who said simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. But for me, a great <laughs> life, whether it's professional or personal, is where you're highly fulfilled and you make a major contribution to the fulfillment of others. Okay, I just had to jot down that uh, Leonardo da Vinci, simplicity is the, say that again, please. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Okay, I always get very meaningful quotes every time you and I have a discussion. So we're talking about vision, mission and vision. And one thing I've discovered in working with a lot of my clients to elevate your leadership is that they'll have a fairly well-defined mission statement. The vision statement usually tends to ramble a little bit, but the values are where I think most leaders are really missing the mark. Companies, usually they'll have between, I'd say, five to seven or eight values. And then all of those values have a two or three paragraph definition behind it. The purpose, the, the utility in having core values, values within your organization, right, is to implant those in the minds of everybody on the team so they can memorize it, they can embrace it, and they can put those core values to use on a daily basis. For me, in my organization, I have three core values, loyalty, integrity, professionalism. People already know what those words mean. I don't have to have a two to three paragraph definition to define that. But what we do on a daily basis is we discuss those core values with each other. We discuss it as a leadership team. We discuss it as peers, we really are winning when our teammates are discussing it amongst themselves. And they use those core values to lift each other up, help each other out, and call each other out if necessary in, in a way that, that's helpful. So core values are a tremendous foundation. Now, sorry, I, I rambled there for no, a minute. Bob, that's not rambling. That's actually one of the best explications of values that I've heard. And that's the proper use of it, because if it's not real, if it's not a piece of paper on the wall, it's worth the value of that piece of paper. When it's in their hearts and minds, that's when you know it's real. And when they're discussing it, that's when you know you keep it dynamic and real. And if you don't have it in the middle of your discussions on a regular basis, trust me, it's not real. That's exactly right. And culture and values, you know, looking at 2018 data from the Glassdoor and from Gallup, core values, or I should say uh, culture and values are ranked number one amongst the factors in the workplace that matter most to today's modern workforce, which is largely millennial. The baby boomers have largely left or are exiting the workforce, and it's, it's primarily the millennial. And culture and values is, is the thing that leaders need to focus on and they need to enable within their organizations. You're absolutely I, right. You know, I'll tell you what, let's go back more than 30 years because the great Peter Drucker, one of the greatest thinkers in business and management, was I think more, well more than 30 years ago, he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And that's not just because of millennials, that's because of human beings, that the culture we're a part of, if it really inspires us, if it aspires us, if it uplifts us, if it makes us more engaged and more focused on what really matters, it's going to be 
very, very beneficial for the person as an individual to have connection to something that's important to them. But it's also going to manifest in the business, the productivity, the production, the engagement inside the business is going to be that much higher. People who don't have a set of core values in the business are losing a tremendous amount of energy and capability of their people. They're just, you know, the people are generally tend to then be following instructions rather than inspiring themselves to do their best work. Yeah, they're being compliant rather than highly motivated. Compliance is the lowest level of engagement. Right. So, so I like the link that you just made because you went back to core values. You know, how do we get high culture in the organization, core culture and values through our core values? You know, that's, a, that's one of the aspects or one of the factors in, in building a high culture. Um, other aspects of a high culture are people feeling like they're making a meaningful contribution to the mission of the organization. You know, they're valued. Their work is valued by the leadership within their organization. And they genuinely feel like, like they're contributing. They also want to feel like the organization they work for is a moral and ethical organization that's doing good in whatever capacity, you know, product or service or whatever. And then another component I think is that people want to be recognized as good at what they do, or perhaps a subject matter expert at what they do. And if they're getting that from the workplace on a daily basis, they feel the culture and by them feeling it and experiencing it, they're actually contributing to it. Bob, you just explicated again, you know, the whole basis of culture, because basis of culture is what's the decisions that drive our business. And the decisions that drive our business are the decisions that drive our people. So there's three basic levels what the decisions can be made at. The level of values, which drives a sense of mission. The level of beliefs, which drives the goals of the organization. Or the rules that they have to follow, which drives strategies and activities. So the question is, if the culture is undefined, if there's not a clear sense of culture, then generally you go to the lowest level of engagement, which is rules and compliance with the rules. So if you don't have a conscious culture that's values-based, that's mission-oriented, and everything you said, recognition is a value, engagement's a value, all these different pieces are really based on the values, the highest level of culture engagement. So again, you know, if you look at what are people doing, you walk into a business, I can tell in an hour or less, usually it's in minutes, is this a really values-driven culture? Is it a goal-oriented culture, which is driven by a bunch of beliefs about what they, they should could, or could do? Or is this just a rigid rule-driven culture? And again, you know, even in the military, which has a lot of rules, the values are what really engages the people to want to be in the military and to really support their brethren and whatever they're engaged in. Yeah, there's no question about that. And you know, that was that was the experience I had for the 26 years I spent in the military. In the military, they do something called a climate survey. So what's the climate? You know, are people happy? Do they feel like they're contributing? We actually used to frown on the climate surveys because sometimes it could be a tool to, you know, give commanding officers course correction and nobody likes that. But there's a distinguishable difference between culture and climate, in my opinion. Right. Yes, and agree. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll just give you my definition and then you expand and tell us, you know, how you see it. But you can walk into an organization and everything is neat and, and good order and everything appears to be in its place. And that's an aspect of climate. I would say Steve and I work really well together. That's an, an aspect of a positive climate. But if I come in and say, oh, man, I love working with Steve. I get to work with Steve today. That's an aspect of culture, in my opinion. But what's your, what's your observation? 
Well, I like what you're saying. Culture to me is the dynamic activity and feeling and thinking that goes on. Culture is what people are really trying to manifest. Climate is what you see after that manifestation is there. Okay, the I like good, you know, so the climate can change and it sometimes it needs to change. And most of the time it really needs to continually evolve. Even a great culture needs to continually evolve. Without needs to a continue doubt. to distinguish, you know, are these values still as resonant and as strongly embedded? Is our mission still clear? I look back to decision-making and let's talk about the hierarchy of decision-making. Let's start from the bottom. Our activities, how often do your activities change? Every could be the last phone call, the last person who walked through your door. How often do your strategies change? Hopefully not much more than daily, weekly, hopefully, you know, a month or a quarter. But again, a lot of times the strategies are changing daily or weekly. How often do your goals change? Hopefully no more than quarterly or annually. Again, the goals could be changing monthly, but hopefully we're getting at least a quarter or a year out of it. How often does your mission change? Three to five years. And how often does your purpose and vision change? Hopefully five to 10 years. So my question is, where do you want to make your decisions based on the thing that's going to change with your next phone call or the thing that you put the time and energy and you've got collective agreement about that could last five to 10 years and guide your organization as a North Star? And that's your purpose and vision. Wow. So you just asked a lot of key questions and a lot of stuff that I want to dive deep on, again, as a business owner with mission, vision, values. We're going to take a quick break for capitalism. And when we come back, Steve and I are going to unpack everything about mission, vision, and values, and, and really make it clear how important it is to the organization. Folks, quick break for capitalism. We'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back talking with Steve Lashansky, author of two books that I've read. One is uh, The Ultimate Sales Revolution. And I pulled some great value out of that. Steve, I landed clients because of some of the stuff you have in that book. And then uh, his most recent book, Leadership Starts Here. And, and I'll tell you what I pulled out of the, the ultimate sales revolution that landed clients. You know, and I'm paraphrasing, but at some point you said, rather than tell the client what it is you're going to bring to them, become part of that client's organization. What you're going to do is embed yourself in their organization and fully understand what it is they're trying to do. And again, I'm paraphrasing. Um, well, let me I help you get clear about that, Bob, because here's go the ahead. point. You know, I asked the question, what percentage of the time is the first request somebody gives you exactly what would be most important and valuable to them? Because that's ultimately the coin of the realm. How much value you create is really the key to a great to a great sales or a great culture or a great relationship of any kind, personal or professional. I always say, what's the driving force of the best relationships? The seven most common answers are trust, respect, openness, communication, listening, caring, and understanding, which I always say are really excellent to have. But have you ever had all those things and the relationship didn't work? And of course, everybody goes, yes, of course. Well, that's not the universal driving force. Those are good things to have. We want those. But my universal driving force, let's understand, the universal driving force of the best relationships is the amount of value creating the relationship. The more value, the better the relationship. Now, when you're in a sales situation and people are saying, but Bob, I need this, 
you can bet 90% of the time, that's not really what they would value. So to give them what they want, have you ever had a situation you gave everybody exactly what they asked for and it still didn't work? And yeah, for goes, sure. Yeah, of course, of course. So giving them what they asked for is usually not the key to success, but helping them get clear about what's most important and valuable to them is already proving you can be trusted, you can be, you respect them, you're listening, you're caring, you're understanding, and helping them get clear about what's most important to them is already separating you from everybody else who's offering them what they asked for. You know, specifically, I remember the full scenario now, a potential client called and said, do you offer this type of training? And I said, well, yes, I can offer that type of training, but what exactly is it you're trying to accomplish? So to validate everything you just said, what I wound up bringing in terms of a service to the organization was quite different than what, what they asked for initially. And more valuable and more likely to want them to hire you because you've done the single most important thing, which is you've demonstrated, you understand what's most important to them. Yeah. Which is was... the single biggest perception change you need. Problem is most people don't understand what's important to themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so helping them get there is already a transformation of the relationship. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go back to mission, vision, and value. So, you know, you said, does your mission change? I think every five years or so in my business, once again, in my experience, my mission, I thought would never change. And again, we're talking about, I fly Virginia beach indoor skydiving. And our mission statement was previously, we deliver the dream of flight. You know, it's the product that we deliver, if you will. What I observed over the years is that we really bring people together through the dream of flight. Beautiful. People enjoy this experience. Three generations of a family, you know, the five-year-old, her 35-year-old mom and her 70-year-old mom and everything in between. Families that only met in our building a few minutes ago are now cheering for each other and rooting for each other. You know, they're, they're cheering for each other's success. And we've had, you know, wedding proposals and we've had all these different events happen in this building. And what I noticed is that we bring people together. So I changed our mission statement a couple of years ago to just that. We bring people together through the dream of flight. Bob, that's beautiful. I just want to really congratulate you because that's exactly how missions evolve. We're clear about what we set out to do and it makes perfect sense to us. Then we realize what we actually do. And as we continue to really pay attention to our client, to our customers, to our colleagues, to our communities, we begin to see what's the effect there. And it gets to, it offers us the opportunity to step up to a bigger mission that's actually more profoundly meaningful. Yeah. So, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, super cool. And then vision, you know, my vision is to lead the industry in what we do, basically. We want to be the best. And I've got a full paragraph that, that states the vision. But Again, I want my teammates, I want everybody in this organization to be able to commit those words to memory, but not just to commit it to memory. I want them to feel it. I want them to deliver it. If they have it committed to memory and they really know what it means, then they know when we're not doing that. And hopefully it feels a little bit off. That's, and a, that's a good distinction. Well, Bob, I'll also tell you, I, saying that I've used too many leaders is the only difference between a vision and a hallucination is how many people can see it. <laughs> Love it. So, you know, a lot of times we're talking to leaders who have this so-called vision and really what they've done is hallucinate for themselves what they want, but they haven't communicated it. So what you're doing is ensuring that we're all looking to the same vision. That's There's right. Nothing more inspiring. And you look at the greatest visions among the, you know, the renowned leaders of the past, Martin Luther King, you know, a vision of eliminating racism. I mean, it's so profoundly, you know, amazing. John F. Kennedy, we're going to go to the moon in 10 years. We hadn't, we hadn't gotten out of into outer space. 
I mean, we hadn't gotten outside the atmosphere at that point. I mean, something that's so big, that's so compelling. You listen to the stories and the statements around those, you know, Nelson Mandela, eliminate apartheid, spent 27 years in jail to do that. The amazing thing is the only thing people can't take away from you is your identity, your purpose, and your values. For Nelson sure. Mandela is the greatest example. He took everything else, his family, his liberty, everything, and his adherence to what he knew was most important to him, who he was, why he was here and what he valued, changed the world. That's a great example of having your vision clear and being consistent, staying on course. Cardinal Direction, my friend Marty Strong, who wrote an excellent book on leadership called Be Nimble, he kind of calls that vision the Cardinal Direction and keeping everybody moving in that same Cardinal Direction. Uh, right. Let's go back to culture real quick. Because you said something about mission, vision, values, culture. You, you said all these things evolve. They sh it should be a constant evolution. And I completely agree. The way I've structured things in my organization, the mission statement is mine based on what you just said, where, where, we, where we intended to go and where I see it is that we are going. Vision is mine, again, to be the best at what we do. And that's so measurable. It's measurable by yes. turnover within your organization. It's measurable, obviously, by, by customer reviews. It's measurable by the effort that your teammates put in to do a really good job. I mean, it really is observable and measurable in my case, you know, because again, we want to be the best. But culture, culture is something for me that evolves every year. And culture is not owned by me. Culture is owned by everybody else in the organization. Well, it's and, actually owned by everybody. It's owned by you as well as everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right, right. Not, yeah. I mean, whether you're talking about a family or a business. Right, the exactly. Culture, that family, the father or the mother is not the sole driver of culture in a family. They can be a predominant influence, which generally means you got a problem in the culture. They can be an enabler. So I have a strategic plan that I review and update every year. And, and for me, there's a few sections to it. So there's mission, vision, values, and then culture is its own section. Culture used to be a bullet under what I call focus areas. But what I saw over the years is culture is so valuable and so important. Culture is a section in the strategic plan unto itself. And I've got seven bullets under culture. You know, we enable fitness, we build community through mentorship, leadership, and motivation. All of those cultural components of culture, they came from the team. I solicited the team and said, beautiful, beautiful. Help, yeah, you help me define culture and let's build, let's define culture together. Let's build it and let's execute it together. And that definitely evolves and changes every year. Let me give you a fundamentals to why that happens, Bob, because culture really needs to be dynamic. It needs to be in process all the time. It needs to be considered and live. It's like your bloodstream, you know, and I know you talk about hydration is one of the most important things. Stop being hydrated. The whole system stops. Right. When culture stops being a focus of a business, the whole system slows down. The whole system gets polluted and stagnant. And it's either dynamic and real and constantly being considered and, and consciously chosen, or it begins to just get stagnant. You know, and, and again, it, it's taken me years owning my own business to have these revelations and to recognize how important these things really are to, to the organization. Again, to reducing turnover, which increases ROI. I mean, at the end of the day, businesses are, we're, we're, we're all good capitalists and we're in business to be profitable, but 
the thing that drives it the most I have observed is that cultural component. Well, let's say something about that really quickly, sure. because if your primary driver is profitability and not the culture and not the well-being of your people and your clients, your business is on its way down. Completely you can agree. beat profit out of a business for only so long. Yeah. You can grow profit in a business almost endlessly by taking care of the culture, the people, the clients. Thank you. That's exactly what I'm experiencing and what I have experienced. And certainly I've made mistakes in the past. Uh, of course, when the business first opened, it, it is all about ROI. And that's the only thing you have your eye on. And then uh, for me, it was a, there was a learning curve, but it looks like we've got that figured out. Let's go back to your decision-making process real quick. You said earlier, there's three levels of decision-making. And can you just kind of summarize, if you will, how executives can arrive at good decisions? Well, the first order of business is to really understand why you'd make any decision, which means you have to have clarity of identity, values, purpose, and mission. Because if you don't, those are the things that actually drive our determination about why we're doing what we're doing. Our mission determines why are we going to make a decision. Our purpose is our global why. Our values explain why we operate a certain way. And our identity, we have to be congruent with who we are, or we're never going to be able to be real in the world in any way, shape, or form, personally uh, or professionally. So those are really the foundations of why we make any choice. If we're clear about what our vision and mission is, the next question is, how will we measure our progress and success? Those are called goals in my mind. And to me, I, I interpret a goal as the best measurement of accomplishment of our mission and vision. To me, that's really what the best goals are. It's not made up, we need to grow 15%. Why do we need to grow 15% is the first obvious question to be asked. And if you can't get a good answer to that, you probably don't have a good answer. <laughs> you're lacking a good answer, you got a problem with getting people really embedded with let's achieve that. But when somebody can see the connection of goals to their vision and mission, they're on board to make that achievement happen. And once that's clear, so that's the what. And that's really driven a lot by our, uh, our, empowering, our empowering beliefs are really important to drive our goals. What do we believe is possible consistent with our values and our identity? What do we believe would be the best measurements consistent with our mission and vision? And if we're mission and vision, our why is clear, our goals are meaningful and congruent and aligned, the question of how to get it done, our strategies, is almost, I don't want to be too presumptuous here, but it's almost a no-brainer. Meanwhile, if you look at most planning sessions in organizations or with people, they spend an inordinate amount of time on their strategies. And mostly that's because the goals don't make sense. And the goals don't make sense because they don't have a mission and vision that makes sense. So we're doing it, as we like to say in consulting world, ask backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Reality of it is build the platform. The foundation is our mission and vision, our purpose. And from there, our next step is to really have clear goals that align with that. And once we have that generation of strategies with the average intelligent person is not a very difficult thing to do at all. You know, I have to say guilty as charged in the early years of my business, that 10% growth, that's exactly what we put in our pro forma. We want 10% growth year on year. And that's just kind of the standard, if you will, or as a newcomer to the business world, you know, I was in the military for 26 years and I could spend millions and millions of taxpayer dollars all over the world, but you don't gather true business acumen in, right. in, in that military world. When I came into the private sector and started my own business, 10% growth year on year just seemed like, well, that's what business people do. And, and when that didn't happen a couple of times, it's like, why? Well, we had turnover here. We lost continuity there. And it became clear I need to focus internally on what we're doing 
with our teammates in this organization. And then the growth happens. And I can tell you we're in year number seven right now. Best year we've ever had. Unbelievable. And again, you start to make these, you know, out of the blue, out of left field type of decisions, 10% growth. The first question any intelligent person should ask when you say, you're going to, we're going to focus on this. Why should we focus on that? I mean, this is just human nature. People want to know why something should be the way it is. It's what a kid would ask. It's what an adult and intelligent professional would ask. You're telling me this is what's most important. Tell me why. So I can really get behind you on it. Yeah. Lacking that, it's just some made up garbage. That's right. That is absolutely right. Steve, uh, we're winding down here. Is there anything that we have left out? You and I have had so many valuable discussions and, and I wanted to recreate a lot of that. Have we left anything out? Well, I think we've left a few things out, Bob, but you know, I think we've covered an awful lot of ground for people. Listen, I think the most important thing you know, that I always say, what's most important is what's always most important. And if you lose track of what's most important and valuable for yourself, or your organization, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for deflection, diffusion, dissipation of attention, energy, capability. So what's most important is the single most important thing to get clear about. And that really comes from having a foundation of knowing why you are here, why you are doing what you're doing. So keep those in order, figure out how to do it. If you've got those two pieces in place, usually becomes just basic execution. Yeah, great, great. Most sage advice. Steve, I can tell you've been in this business for 29 years. And again, I'm speaking as somebody who's living it, who's made a lot of the mistakes and, and learned from them and learned, learned a lot of the same things that you're talking about and things that you and I place. Can I great. say something about mistakes though, Bob? Yeah. I say as a leader, your most important ability is to let your people make mistakes because we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. You need to let them make as much, as much and as many mistakes as possible without hurting the organization. Yeah, that's and then, a fact. And, and then ensure that they learn from those. Yeah, completely agree. That, that gets into like a whole nother topic, which is um, Dr. Gary McGrath calls, I got your back leadership, which I think is brilliant. You know, in the military, leaders are expected to fail, especially younger leaders and first time in the role. And their leaders don't attack the failure. They pick them up, they dust them off. We debrief or we call hot wash and we get back out there and do it again, you know, as long as we're moral, ethical and legal in, in what we're doing. And, and so to your point of let people fail again, I coach youth hockey. We talked about that. And, right. and, I, and I tell, I tell my hockey players, I'm coaching high school this year. I tell them I want in practice, I want you to make mistakes. I want you to fall down. I want, I, I want you to try so hard to be better that, you know, you are making mistakes and get, let, get it out here. This is the place to do that. And we'll and, be better coming in. Bob, the, peak, the, the key piece about mistakes is make the mistakes, learn from the mistakes. Then it's not really a mistake. It was just a learning opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Steve, great stuff. Hey, has Leadership Starts here officially been released yet? It has not been released, but it's available for pre-sale. It goes on sale October 20th. There's a special to pre-order at a much reduced price. It is available on Amazon under Leadership Starts here. Okay. Hey, listeners out there, again, I, I was lucky enough to read the manuscript. It's an incredible book. I strongly recommend it. And if you, Steve, how can people contact you if they want to, you know, dialogue with you directly? Well, please reach out at info at Optimize INTL. That's Optimize INTL. It's Optimize International's company. So info Optim at Optimize INTL.com. Folks, I, rec I recommend you get in touch with Steve if you have any leadership development or business 
consulting, business development, business advice that you're seeking. Again, Steve's a, a tremendous asset. Steve, thank you so much for being on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Bob, it's always a pleasure. And this was a great one. Thank you for listening right. to the Elevate we'll see you later, Your Leadership folks. podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.